Welcome to The Jenna Ellis Show, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is The Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that I trust to give you good and patient counsel for investing in your retirement. The Biden administration has caused a financial crisis, and they have no clue how to fix it. Oil prices have skyrocketed, and when oil prices go up, not only do your expenses go up, but the cost of transportation and shipping spikes, leading the prices of goods to rise. And when and we are already seeing record inflation. That's the last thing that we need. Our economy is in trouble, and you need to take steps to protect yourself. If all your money is tied up in stocks, bonds, and traditional markets, you may be vulnerable. So gold is one of the very best ways to protect your retirement. No matter what happens, you own your own gold. It's real, it's physical, and it's always been valuable since the dawn of time. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-528-1903 or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com where you can download the free investor's guide. You can also go to my Facebook page, Jenna Ellis. I am a public figure on Facebook and I just posted yesterday a really great interview with the president of Legacy Precious Metals who is discussing why you need to start your retirement account even if you're in your 20s or 30s. There is always a great time to protect your retirement and invest just like you want to protect your health over the long term. So go to Legacy Precious Metals at LegacyPMInvestments.com or call 866-528-1903. And joining me now is my good friend, Jeff Myers, who is the president of Summit Ministries, where I have been uh, very honored and blessed to be uh, not only a graduate uh, from back in high school and started my worldview training uh, there, as well as obviously being homeschooled uh, throughout actually my entire K through 12. So that was a great supplement to be a part of Summit Ministries and then returning as faculty to help teach the biblical worldview of law. And so Jeff Myers has... um, been such a good friend and also a really amazing influence in my life. Uh, He and his wife, Stephanie, are dear friends. And Jeff, thanks so much for joining me here. Hi, Jenna. I'm so glad to be with you on the show. I always love these conversations. Yeah, me too. And, you know, as we talk about worldviews, I think um, a lot of Christians who are engaging with the cultural and legal and constitutional and political topics of the day sometimes feel like we just can't engage in the culture in a meaningful biblical way. And so it always helps to go back to some of the basics and say, okay, what is a worldview? How do we have the tools to describe uh, what's going on in our culture and how do we approach this biblically? So let's just start there with this question of what is a worldview? 
Okay, yeah, this is great because if, you, if you're building a house, you want to have a good, strong foundation. You want it to be built on rock, not on the sand. And a lot of people are surprised by the, this idea uh, that a biblical worldview is, is actually a thing because people think, oh, my spiritual state, that's me, that's, that's all my stuff, that's personal. But the truth is what we believe about God will affect what we believe about reality, which affects what we believe about what's right and wrong, which affects what we believe about society and what makes a good society and justice and everything else. So it's really important. When I use the term worldview, Jenna, I'm referring to a pattern of ideas, of beliefs, of, of habits, of convictions that help us make sense of the world. So if you start with the belief there is a God, you're going to end up with a different societal plan than if you start with the belief that there is no God and only the material world exists. And a lot of people also think that somehow if you're if you're a Christian, you're making a claim, but everybody else is neutral. So you're always on the defense, right? You're having to explain everything. But the truth is every person has a worldview. They have a perspective. Every worldview is religious. Secularism is a religion. Marxism is a religion. They're secular religions. Wokeism is a religion. All Everybody's coming at all of these questions from a religious worldview, which means they have a set of beliefs about the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe. So as a Christian, my focus is not only understanding what a Christian worldview is and how to apply it in a way that that causes society to flourish, but also to understand the counterfeit worldviews that are out there taking me captive through... Well, every time I turn on the television or surf the internet. Mm -hmm. And I love how you defined religion there because so many people think of religion as a belief in God or belief in a specific deity, but you just describe that as the cause, nature, and purpose of the reality to which we're presented. And I think that's a much more apt description of religion in this definition of how everyone does approach life's most basic questions through a religious view. And so as we encounter these types of questions and say, okay, there is a Christian worldview and then there are other forms of worldviews, Um, That, to me, I think is really fundamental because as we approach these questions and we engage with people, often so many secularists don't even know that they have a worldview. They just think, I'm better because I don't buy into these Santa Claus sort of religions and these false crutches that other people have. I'm much more independent. I believe in the science, for example. Right. Yes. Well, as a matter of law, the federal government recognizes this. And it's it's really interesting. Do you remember back in the day when a secular individual wanted to resist the draft for moral reasons, but only religious people were allowed to have exemptions? And he was able to successfully claim before the Supreme Court that even though he didn't he didn't have religious convictions that he, he should still be allowed to have, be a conscientious objector. The Supreme Court allowed that. Why did they allow it? Because he had beliefs that functioned as a religion. So secular people have beliefs that function as a religion for them. Uh, Critical race theory, the advocates have a, a set of beliefs that function as a religion for them. So Christians should never feel like they are the only ones that have to defend anything and everybody else is neutral. We should recognize that It really is a battle of worldviews, and ultimately it's a battle for how we understand reality. Can we understand it, and does reality give us any guidance about what is right and wrong and how to make a good society? 
Yeah, and that's really interesting that you bring up the conscientious objector because in the vaccine mandate cases that have been presented, and I've had a lot of people contact me and have actually helped a lot of clients uh, work through those religious exemptions, but it's interesting the people who contact me who say, well, you know, I don't have a particular religion, but I conscientiously object and how many employers don't necessarily recognize that as a religion where they should, because it is a moral belief system. And it's based on a measurable difference in that person's view of right versus wrong and how they define that and where they derive their standard. And so when people say, you know, I believe that this is wrong, like for example, the secularist or the Marxist even would say, well, racism is wrong. And yet they don't believe in any God. They would say that they don't have a religion, but yet they have this view of a measurable difference between right and wrong. And they're making a moral declaration saying that racism, for example, is wrong. Well, how can they say that if they don't have the understanding and the standard of what sets human beings apart and why we are all equal, not on the basis of skin color. And so how do we help people understand this question of where does morality come from and how even all of these viewpoints and these expressions and these positions of saying things like, well, racism is wrong, how could you even question that, is a religious position. Right. Well, my sense is, and I'm coming at this as a Christian, so I'm starting with the Bible. And the very first thing we learn in the Bible is that human beings are made in God's image, that all human beings have dignity and worth because God exists and we bear his image. It's very difficult for a secularist who has no belief in God and believes that only the material world exists to come up with an enduring basis for understanding why we should even treat people with dignity. Why do we have dignity? Why is persuasion better than force? Philosophers have wrestled with these questions for a long, long time. The philosophers that have been able to make sense of them in advanced society, interestingly enough, are those who are coming at it from a Christian perspective. Yeah, and it's it's also interesting to think about these questions in the context of defining things biblically, because you mentioned, you know, things like critical race theory and this sort of collective guilt that is uh, forced on a specific group just on the basis of skin color, that because, for example, I'm white, therefore, uh, regardless of how old I am or what my philosophy is, I am presumed to be guilty based on my skin color and have that inherent bias. And that goes fundamentally against the Christian worldview. So how can Christians take a biblical worldview and not have this separation between application of that worldview to these issues of the cultural day like critical race theory? Well, that's uh, that's a fantastic question. And the implications of this are society-wide. Imagine if all of a sudden schools could no longer say, we are going to teach everything except stuff that involves God because God is religious. But if secularism is a religion, then they're simply replacing one religion with another. A corporation that says everybody in our company has to be woke is imposing their religious beliefs on other people. So how do we as Christians engage in this? First of all, I think we understand that every human being has dignity. We are image bearers of God. Second thing I think we understand is that as the God made the idea of family, God created the idea of government, God created the idea of the church, and that these are spheres that have to interact with one another properly in society. So we always have to ask the question, I try to picture family, government, 
and church as three balloons in a box. If one balloon gets blown up bigger than the others, the other two get squeezed. And right now, the government balloon has grown so big, it's so pervasive, that the church and the family get squeezed. What does a healthy society look like? When we help families stay strong, when we help them get stronger, when we recognize the role that churches, and this would be churches, but also other community-serving organizations play in our communities, and we balance that with the government rather than have the government take over all of these responsibilities. You know, and we, you and I have talked about this many times, a government that is big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you have. And that's sort of what we're seeing right now is that even government economic policies, how much more expensive is it right now to, to get a tank of gas? How much more expensive to go to the grocery store? I'm not eating celery right now because the price has gone up by like 15 times. I didn't really like it that much anyway, but it, <laughs> good excuse. Yeah, yeah right. But, but, but it's really expensive and, and I, I make light of it. But the fact is most families in this country you know, their income is such that if inflation goes up by 5%, they're in a world of hurt. They now have to choose between getting groceries and getting you know, maybe a, an enrollment into a child's sports program or something like that. And, and that wasn't the case just 18 months ago. So government policy affects people in significant ways. So I, I don't know if that answer makes sense, but it seems like if we have to recognize that what we recognize to be true in our worldview will affect everything, even government policy. Yeah, you know, Andrew Breitbart's famous phrase is politics is downstream from culture. And I think what he really meant by that, and of course the expansion of that phrase, is that what we believe necessarily impacts what we do in government and in what we allow for our government uh, to impose upon us. And when the government is foisting its own definition of what a good society means, and when the leftists are saying we have to define this as collectivism, we have to define this as you know these far progressive left policies, that is a religion. And so of course then you know the comeback to that or maybe what a secularist would say is, well, you know, you're saying that this is a Christian nation, so you're wanting to force your worldview on us. And well, yeah, I mean, but not to say that this is a theocracy, but of course, our definition from the truth of reality that the measurable difference between right and wrong and good and evil comes from a biblical basis and that God is the one that endowed us with our rights, that is not only what our founders uh, founded our country upon and, and, and wrote our constitution with that mandate and that framework from the declaration, but that's also what we see as a well-ordered society. And in order to define good society. We have to first define good. And so, Jeff, I think that a lot of Christians tend to shy away from some of those questions instead of embracing them and saying, yes, we are a Christian nation because we're founded on biblical truth. Uh, yeah, what you're, uh, I hope we get to have a conversation this fall because I've, I've written a book and it's ready to go to publication right now called Truth Changes Everything. And I simply went through history and looked at times of crisis when people who believe that Jesus is the truth, capital T truth, as opposed to individual truths that we decide for ourselves, people who believed that Jesus is the truth had a profound impact in science and in art and in justice and in politics. You know, the political system we have in the United States of America 
whether or not all of the founders were believing Christians, and the evidence is that they were, but the vast, you know, of the 56 who signed the Declaration of Independence, 51 were known to be Christians. Uh, but aside from that, you look back at their writings of all of the documents that were used as source material by the founders. Donald Lutz looked at 15,000 of them. The Bible was quoted more than all of the other sources put together. And why would they quote the Bible? Because at the time of the founding of the United States of America, that the 1700s were actually called the biblical century because people were looking back at the Hebrew Republic as described in the Old Testament. Right. And I read through the Bible every day. I'm reading Leviticus right now. I'm like, oh, this is so hard. But the fact is, it's outlining this moral code that was so advanced that it had to have been of supernatural origin. And, and, and what happened is that our founders went back and looked at that. How did the Hebrews manage to form a republic? Nothing like that had ever happened before. How could we form a republic? How do we take into account the reality of human sinfulness? As Lord Acton said, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. How do we divide the power so no one person can take complete charge? All of these are ultimately religious questions. And the founders resolved them by looking back at the Bible as the source of their material. It happened in science, too. I wish we could just talk forever about this. Did you know that two-thirds of the people who've ever won a Nobel Prize in science were Christians? Of the, of the 52 people who founded modern science, only one of them was an atheist. You will never hear this on a university campus today because it's as if every religion is acceptable except for Christianity. And that the smart people don't need the crutch of religion. That's what you're taught in the mainstream media and on university campuses, that the more you can distance yourself and enlighten yourself through thinking and basically that you are your own God, then you don't need this crutch of religion rather than understanding that the God who created everything and, the, and has the best explanation for the reality to which we're presented maybe has all of the answers because he's the one who actually originated everything. So you know, as we're looking yeah. at our current society, Jeff, there are so many people who are, um, you know, who come to me every day with questions of, you know, what can we do about this? I'm really concerned about schools. I'm concerned about, um, you know, all of these political situations. I'm concerned about culture. I'm maybe, you know, buying into separation of church and state and all of these different questions. What do you think right now at this moment in time is actually the biggest threat to our understanding and application of the Christian worldview as you see our culture at its current, uh, I guess, moment in time? Mm. Wait, I, I always I always hesitate when I'm asked what is the biggest of a question because there are so many different issues. But I wonder if it comes down to this. You know, Abraham Lincoln said, this is government of the people, by the people, and for the people. If we are not involved citizens, then we, we're making a huge mistake. I've had Christians say, well, I can't challenge what the president says. I can't challenge what Congress says because Romans 13 says I must be subject to the governing authorities. And I tell them, you are the authority. The, the bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. are not the leaders. The elected people are not the, the people. It is government of the people, by the people, for the people. The government doesn't exist to give us rights. The government exists to secure the rights that were given by God. So if Christians can understand that first, and we spend so much time on that in our summit ministries, two-week programs for these students who are 16 to 22 years of age, because we know they're headed off to the university 
And they'll be told, oh, you can't have Christianity in here. We can't talk about that. We can't, or your religion is a crutch for you. And if, as, as soon as they realize everybody is religious, and the only person who would say something like that is a person who's trying to substitute their religion for yours, all of a sudden you have a level playing field. So I would say to Christians, you can be involved. If there are meetings in your community, go. Find out who your elected representatives are. Be in contact with them. But talk about these things with your friends. It might not be a good time in, uh, until the courts catch up with the questions we were discussing just now about religion in the workplace. It might not be a good time to talk about these things at work, but certainly with your friends, with your family. The average person influences a great many more people than they realize. And a lot of times, People don't even know there is a biblical perspective on something because they've never even heard that. Vaccines have not eliminated the Chinese Fauci virus, so we all need extra protection for our immune systems. My friends at Centurion Labs have combined five key ingredients to defend your immune system against allergies, cold, the flu, and even the coronavirus. It's called Centurion Defender, and it incorporates vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, copper, and quercetin in just one capsule. No more swallowing 10 pills a day or not taking supplements because the individual cost is just too high. So take one Defender with breakfast and one with dinner and keep living your life. Just like the Centurions of Rome led by example and held themselves to the highest possible standards, Centurion Labs has dedicated the last 15 years to research and develop safe, effective, and affordable healthcare products made in the USA that you can trust. For a limited time, listeners of this show can save 20% off their first order of Centurion Defender. Visit centurionlabs.com forward slash Jenna and use the promo code J-E-N-N-A. Defend your health today with Centurion Defender. That's centurionlabs.com forward slash Jenna and the promo code Jenna. Centurion Labs, that's with an S, centurionlabs.com forward slash J-E-N-N-A. Yeah. And so often people think that, well, I'm not an influencer because, you know, I don't have 100,000 or a million people that follow me on Instagram, you know, but this is still that you have the ability to impact people who you are face to face with. And everybody has a circle of influence. Everyone has a voice and a platform to be the hands and feet of Christ that not only are serving our community and our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also fulfilling the Great Commission to go and teach the truth and to be that witness and that advocate in our sphere as big or as small as it is. And so I think a lot of people see what and measure themselves against maybe what other people like you are doing and saying, well, you know, I don't run um, a ministry that, you know, reaches um, thousands of, of uh, you know, high school and college students annually. So, you know, I don't have as big of an impact. But I think you're totally right, Jeff, that everybody has an impact and can do what they can. And that leads me to, to my last question here, which is, you know, everybody says, okay, we, you know, we, we understand a lot of the problem here and we understand or at least have this visceral reaction of, okay, we know CRT is wrong or we know that these vaccine mandates are unconstitutional and they're just morally wrong for the government to impose that on us. Um, but what is the solution for the Christian in terms of standing up and saying, you know, having a, a biblical view, as you've described of Romans 13, but actually having a solution that you see over the next, you know, whether it's the next week, the next 10 years, where can the body of Christ and Christians move this forward and say, we are going to preserve our system of government that our rights are given by God, our creator, and that the sole purpose of government is to preserve and protect them. 
Mm. Well, I'm speaking as a Christian here, obviously, but I just am thinking of Psalm 78 that says that we will not withhold the good deeds of God from our children, but we will teach them to the next generation. And I, I think maybe this is the time to put the focus on this rising generation. Up to 90% of them have mental health struggles. They're struggling in school. They're struggling economically. They're struggling academically. And anybody who's watching or listening to this could make a difference this summer. You could, we, we have openings in our two-week Summit Ministries program. Just go to summit.org. And we will take that young adult. We'll love them. We'll give them lots of instruction from top Christian thought leaders on what a biblical worldview is and how they can know it's true and what difference it makes in society. The, the people who have taken the time to, to identify and recommend and get students here to Summit Ministries receive back into their community a young adult who has a completely different worldview than what they've been taught often in government schools or in the media. And, and one person makes a difference, right? Our, you know, Bill Brown was a mentor of mine. He always would say that one person sincerely committed to a cause is more valuable than a thousand who are merely interested. So we don't want to be people who just make noise on social media and fail to intentionally reach the young adults we have the opportunity to reach. We want to help them gain an unshakable faith. Uh, that's why yeah. we do what we do at Summit Ministries. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up Bill Brown because uh, he was the president of Cedarville University uh, during the one year that I spent there. My older brother graduated from there. And I actually started at Cedarville uh, before... At that time, they didn't have a journalism program, which is my undergrad, so I eventually uh, transferred back to Colorado State and finished out there. Um, but that one year, I know that God had a purpose in my life because the one year that I spent uh, at Cedarville, I got to know Bill Brown and um, his wife, and I heard him speak in chapel one Friday, and he had that exact same message because he speaks prolifically on worldviews, part of the Colson Fellowship, which, you know, Jeff, you and I have been a, a part of, and we love that ministry as well. And he said in that chapel that day, he said, you know, you can be an evangelist and you can talk to a million people, but if you're actually making disciples and you are intentionally interacting with and investing in a few people's lives and then they invest and he talked about how this can multiply and one person can impact a next generation because they are actually investing in making disciples for Christ and he taught, uh, talked about how that was the mission of Cedarville and that resonated with me. Um, I was maybe 19 at the time I think and I went up to him after um, chapel and said I want to do that. Um, and that ultimately became a scholarship that is now at Cedarville that has impacted um, a lot of students who have gone through law school and have now you know, reached a lot of different people. And I've never forgotten that message that as one person, I can simply do today what God has for me and reach and touch the people with truth that I can today. And that ultimately has become a much, much bigger ministry than I could have ever imagined when I was 19 hearing that from Bill Brown. But my testimony, not only for Christ, but also for truth, and, and they're synonymous, of course, Christ is truth, is that that message of making sure to do every day what you can and you as one person can make a difference, um, my life has been absolutely exemplary of that because of the opportunities that God has given me. If I just step out in faith and I say, today, I'm going to do what God has for me. I'm not going to back down from the truth. And I'm going to stand up, have courage, speak with conviction, not of my own opinions and my truth, 
but of the truth of Jesus Christ. And as I've encountered, you know, a lot of struggles o- across, um, you know, over the years and a lot of, you know, setbacks, a lot of things that people don't see. Um, but as I've continued to say, I am trusting in the Lord and I'm going to do what he has for me today and I'm going to reach the people I can today. That absolutely has been true. And um, Bill Brown has influenced my life so much. You've influenced um, my life so much, Jeff, in the ministry of Summit. And I deeply appreciate that. And I hope that everybody listening is hearing what you are saying because it absolutely is the truth. And I hope that that's encouraging and inspiring them to make a difference today and do what God has for them today. Because you never know what opportunities you'll have today or tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. There's an old saying, if you want to make a difference for a year, plant a field of rice. If you want to make a difference for a generation, plant a tree. If you want to make a difference for eternity, train a child. And th- this is this is really true. We have around us people who are watching and listening, have children, you have grandchildren, their neighbors, uh, young adults you know who are growing up in a very secular culture. If we can put the focus on them and and that is that's my issue. Every time I get into a, a having a media opportunity, I'm asking, "What's this rising generation? How can we help them?" That's where we can really make the difference. Absolutely. Well, thank you for making a difference, and I'm really excited to read your new book. So it's Truth Changes Everything. And Truth uh, Changes when is Everything. That coming out in September twenty September of 2022. I just turned in the final manuscript yesterday. Wow, congratulations. I know how exciting that is, and it's always like, okay, I've done this, and now you're just waiting for the book to come out. So you'll have to uh, come back and uh, tell everyone all about it when it comes out, and we'll be looking forward to that. So, Jeff, thank you so much. And, again, where can people um, follow you and hear about Summit Ministries and all the great work that you're doing? Yeah, the best way to do it is just to come to summit.org. And it's very clear what, what we have to offer, how we can help families. You just click on conferences, and you'll find out how your young adults can come and study with my colleagues and with me even this summer and begin that change now. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeff.